welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. Fascinate us with your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. to be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 16, starting in verse 1. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish, uh, who was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So immediately we see that Paul and Silas have gone to some of the cities where he last was. And these are the places where he got stoned. But there's also a church. There's a, a growing and thriving church here. And that's evidenced by the fact that there's disciples, there's people there that it seems like Paul didn't already know. So the church has continued to grow without Paul and Barnabas in these in these regions. And so we meet Timothy. And Luke is introducing us to Timothy here because he's going to be essentially like Paul's son in the faith. Paul is going to treat him like a son. Paul is going to be very, very close with Timothy for the rest of his life. And Timothy's actually going to start traveling with him. Verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the, uh, the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This brings up a very interesting point. And it gives us a window in at least how Paul understood this. Is the decision that was handed down in chapter 15 was that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised and follow the laws and customs of Moses, of the Jews, to be saved. They don't first have to convert to Judaism to be a Christian. What they didn't say, and this is is very clear that they don't say this, They didn't say that Jews don't have to follow the law or the customs of Moses. Now, they do acknowledge that they're bad at it and that they can't do it and that they need the salvation of Jesus just like anyone else, but they never say that Jews don't have to follow the laws and customs of Moses. They say only Gentiles. And here what we see is Paul is taking Timothy, whose mother is Jewish, but his father is Greek, and uncircumcised. And so he didn't have, as a, as a Gentile, he didn't have Timothy circumcised as a child like a, a good Jew would do. And so because of that, because he is half Jewish and they're going to be going into synagogues, they're going to be going into these places, Paul has him circumcised. And Paul apparently is going to hold Timothy to following the laws and customs of Moses as apparently he does to be able to go into these places. Now, Paul has a lot to say about this uh, in, in his epistles, about, about this kind of reality. But in the end, Paul is, is going to have Timothy because everyone knows in that area that he's Jewish, that he has to live like a Jew. And so that brings up a really interesting issue, dichotomy, whatever you want to call it, that do Jewish Christians nowadays, today, did they have to follow the laws and customs of Moses? And that's one of those things where it's very clear for the Gentiles that they do not. But for Jewish people, for people that are actually Jewish by blood, 
what is the requirement for them? And that is still a point of contention and debate even to this day. And there have been many Gentile Christians through the years and centuries even that have said, if you if you are a Jew and you do follow, you, you call yourself a Christian, you do follow the laws and customs of Moses, you're not actually saved because we're not supposed to do those things. And they misunderstand what the decision in Acts 15 was. They don't say that no one is supposed to follow those things. They don't tell the Gentiles that they that they can't be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses. They're saying they don't have to. There's nothing that says they don't that they can't. They can do it if they want if they want to. They can follow the laws and customs of Moses. And the other thing they don't say is that no one, that the Jews don't have to follow those things. None of that is said. And so people have read into that decision things that aren't there and then actually abused Jewish people because of their misunderstanding and misinterpretation of that passage. What it says very clearly, we have to be very careful about these kinds of things that we don't read into the text things that it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Jewish people aren't supposed to, that they have to stop following the laws of Moses. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Gentiles can't do those things. They can if they want to. All it says is that to be a Christian, Gentiles do not have to follow the law of Moses first and first be converted to Judaism. So here we see this kind of dual reality for someone like Paul, who is a Jewish Christian, but is going to Gentiles because he's not just going to Gentiles. We know that everywhere he goes, he goes into the synagogue first and he knows he's taking Timothy and they're going to be like, wait a second, is he a Gentile with you? Because this, we're going to see later on in the book of Acts, this is going to stir up a lot of trouble if you go into Jewish places and you're bringing people in that aren't allowed to be there. Paul knows better than that. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What this is, is the province of Asia is kind of southwest or far western, what we would call Turkey. Uh, Phrygia and Galatia is more central. Turkey up in the mountains and the highlands. Um, we're going to find out later, you know, um, John, the apostle John ends up becoming, uh, he, he moves to the province of Asia and specifically he lives in and around Ephesus. And so he writes the letter in the, the book of Revelation is to the seven churches in the province of Asia. They're all kind of in the, the area surrounding Ephesus. Um, and so for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, you can't go there right now. We know that he's going to go there later, but for whatever reason right then, the Lord didn't want Paul to go there. He had a path for him and he's leading him on this path. And I found this very fascinating as they're trying to go different places and the Lord's saying, no, not here, not here. It doesn't tell us how. Doesn't tell us how the Lord prevented them from going there, but it was very clear that that's not where we're supposed to go. We're supposed to go here and here and here. And so the Lord is leading every step of the way. I love how the Holy Spirit is, is leading all of this. Verse 7. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they enter, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. So now they are in far northwestern Turkey. So the province of Asia is south of where they are. They're on the Mediterranean. Troas is actually on the Mediterranean, but it's in the far northwestern corner of what we would call Turkey. Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
Did you see what just happened there? There's a, a, a bit of a change in the way this is written. And Luke is very sneaky about this. But up until this point, Luke has talked about everything in the third person. And now in this verse right here, in verse 10, um, it's very clear that Paul acquired Luke in the city of Troas. Don't know if Luke was from Troas, but he's definitely living there. And Luke joins Paul. Paul in this group in the city of Troas, because from here on out, he went from saying Paul and them, they did this, they did this. And now right here, he's like, and now we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach. And so now Luke is a part of the the traveling party here. And for the rest of the book of Acts, Luke is essentially going to be a first, uh, an eyewitness to all of the rest of the things that are happening. Verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Macedonia is essentially northern Greece, the northern part of the country of Greece. And when we think of the Greek Empire, some people at, at times, you know, there was Alexander the Great. He was the, the, the guy behind the expansion of the Greek Empire. And what most people a lot of times don't understand is that actually Alexander the Great was from Macedonia. And so actually what some people in ancient circles and different different times have called the Greek Empire called the Macedonian Empire because it's actually they were they were Greek culturally, but they were the people group that Alexander the Great was from was Macedonian, and it's this region where they're starting out. But now we just call the whole area Greece. And um, once Alexander the Great started this, you know, culturally Greek empire. People nowadays refer to it as the Greek Empire, but he was actually Macedonian. So this is really the heart of the expansion of the Greek Empire came from Macedonia. And so that's where Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, at least and probably others are with them, are headed right now as they're going kind of from the north southward through Greece, starting in the region of Macedonia. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. I, I find this interesting. Every time I read this, I find this interesting. They went outside the city down to a river to where they expected to find a place of prayer. I find that very interesting. There's, there's, there's something special, right? We can pray in our homes. We can pray in our, our, our closets, if you will, where no one sees us, no one hears us. But there's something special about going to a corporate place of prayer, like a, a physical place where people gather to pray. There's something about it. And this is not a building. It's not a structure, but it's just a field near the river where people are regularly gathering to pray. And this kind of thing is so common in the ancient world that Paul is like, I think we can probably go down to the river and find a place where people are gathering to pray at a certain hour of the day. And they do. They go down there, they think they might find one there, and they actually find one there. I find this very fascinating. I actually live, I move to where I live now, the Kansas City area, because there is what people call a place of prayer here. There's something called the International House of Prayer. And it's a, a building, essentially. It's a it's a, a series of buildings 
but there is a room where there is 24-7 worship and prayer going on and has been since 1999, just past the 23rd anniversary uh, of there being 24-7 worship and prayer. It started in September of 1999. And since that time, there has been nonstop 24-7 prayer and worship led by people on microphones leading prayer and a worship team, a full worship band leading prayer and worship around the clock. The music never stops. And and some people may have a hard time imagining what that's like, but imagine a super Walmart that never closes. It's essentially like that. The music actually never stops. When uh, they take two-hour shifts and when the musicians are done with their two-hour shift, they keep playing until a few band members from the next team get in. They start playing and then the original band members, they leave and the new band is already there ready to play. And so they kind of, kind of finger themselves into the music so that it never actually stops. And for 20, over 23 years, the music has never stopped. The worship music and the prayer has never stopped. It's been continual. It's a place of prayer. And so people come to this place of prayer. It's a corporate gathering for prayer. And, um, I started coming years ago just to come on prayer retreats uh, we would come, my wife and I, for a week at a time, weekend, and we would just come to just kind of reset our hearts, reset our lives to a place where there was this, this place of 24-7 prayer. And we would just spend time before the Lord praying and worshiping the Lord. There's, I mean, they have teaching and all that kind of stuff, but the prayer room itself, it's just prayer and worship 24-7. And so coming and just spending time in that prayer room night and day is so powerful we would do that. And now we, we moved here for a one-year sabbatical several years ago. We just decided to stay and we've been here ever since. And we are right next to this place where people are praying around the clock 24-7. And it is a very powerful thing. <clears throat> I think the church in the West has lost this idea of having a place of prayer, a corporate gathering for prayer. It's something that people do on their own in private and generally, if it's something that you do on your own in private, you probably do it less than if you do it with other people. Um, there is an aspect to gathering in a in a corporate way. There's accountability, and you you just you you're more faithful to do it. You're more faithful to to pray and spend time doing those things, and and you encourage each other while you're doing it. We've really lost that. The Catholic Church, all throughout, I mean, for ages. The church, many churches are always open 24 seven. You can go in and pray. And it's not necessarily that there's prayer being led, but it's a place that you can go and pray 24 seven. I don't know how many movies there are, you know, where we, sh we you see the, uh, the protagonist is going through something terrible. And, and so they need some time to contemplate and just connect with the Lord. And so you see them walk into some giant cathedral like church where there's candles lit and there's people, you know, dotting the pews and they go in, in the middle of the night to pray, right? Those churches were always open as a place of prayer. We've lost that today. There's even a lot of Catholic churches don't do that anymore. And, and Protestant churches, very few Protestant churches are, are ever open as a place of prayer. We've lost that. And I think it would be powerful to gain that back, this notion of we gather together to pray. We can do it private. We should do it privately. But we can gather together to pray corporately. Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The Lord is so good, right? The Lord, when he sent out the uh, disciples, he's like, don't necessarily, don't take a purse, don't take money, don't do this. Just go out and wait for this uh, house of peace. If there's a, a, a man of peace in the town, they'll welcome you in, go in. When they invite you in, go. And so Paul and his crew, they're essentially kind of doing the same thing. They go and they find this. And there's people that are so happy to hear the word of the Lord that they bring them in. They're like, come and stay with us. Let us provide for you. The Lord provides for his people. The Lord provides on these kinds of things. I've seen that firsthand when I have been on missionary journeys. The Lord provides in ways that you just don't even expect. And it's so powerful when you just lean into the Lord like this and you trust the Lord in these kinds of situations. It's so amazing how he provides. He really does. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. And I can't wait to see you next time.